This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, Reverend Naran Tillman uh, of St. Philip's Christian Church in Brooklyn, New York. It is a faith, leadership, and wellness coach. He is and a serial entrepreneur since the age of 19 and musical director. And I, I want to welcome you to the show. And I wanted you to know, I went online and I heard a segment of one of your services where there was a lot of singing and also uh, I was very enlivened uh, spiritually by watching a bit of uh, what you all do there. So uh, looking forward to talking to you about that today. Reverend, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show today. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to, to be speaking with you guys. I, I've been listening to your podcast, and I find it very interesting and enlightening. And I'm honored to um, <clears throat> partake in this conversation today. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. Uh, Pastor, maybe uh, to begin with, you can uh, fill our listeners in a bit about your background. What uh, drew you to ministry? How did it come about? And... Um, what essentially brought you to, to this point in your life? Um, I I grew up in church all my life. My um, I remember when I was a young child, my grandmother used to bring me to, to prayer um, um, in the summertime. I used to hate going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I think it was that type of upbringing that, that helped place the seed of ministry inside of me. But I also believe that I was just purposed um, to, to do ministry. Uh I don't think that this is something that we choose. I think it chooses us. And as much as we try to get away from it and run away from it, it, it chases us down. So I think I'm a product of, of, of um, God's design for my life. Um, I would prefer to do business, not the spirit of business, but um, the business of business, banking <laughs> or finance. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, he, he created me to, to be a preacher. Uh, and how how did that uh, calling uh, come come to you? When did you become aware of it? Uh, I was I grew up in um, a place called Far Rockaway Queens here in New York, um, in one of the housing project developments, and I was entangled in a lot of uh, things that probably is unpreacher like, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I got into some trouble, and um, that that was all a part of my journey. Uh, and I remember, um, I remember f- feeling called even while I was um, hanging out and doing things that I wasn't, I shouldn't have been doing. Um, saying something telling me that I'm supposed to be preaching. I'm like, I can't preach. I'm like, I'm in the midst of <laughs> all of this foolishness, and I don't want to leave it alone. Like, I, I really in- enjoyed <laughs> some of the stuff that I was involved in. Um, and then I got in trouble. Um, I got in trouble when I was 19 years old. And that began to um, enlighten me. Thank God that I didn't get in a lot of trouble where I, where I would be doing ministry incarcerated because <laughs> um, I was able to to um, see the light of day again. But it, it also real, made me realize that life there was a more um, to life than what um what I what my environment had given me or told me that that life was. And I began to. Um, pray and and seek God for direction mm-hmm. and I eventually would submit to his will so when I turned 24 years old I began to preach I preached my first sermon at 24 years old wow mm. uh, Reverend Tillman 
were there uh, individuals that uh, along the way in your life uh, that were spiritual guides or mentors or folks that really uh, helped you on your path, on your journey to your ministry? Yes, there, there were. Um, and, and every person's life, regardless of where we are, if we are going to have any level of success, you're always going to have key people um, that, that help spur that along. Um, first, like my grandmother um, was was one that was essential mm-hmm. in my early upbringing, and then um, when I uh, transitioned from um, when I moved from the housing projects at 17 years old, um, 17, 18, um, there was a guy named one of the deacons from the church named Willie Bates. Uh, he moved me away from that environment and took me into a home setting. He owned a house and a business. And he actually taught me business, and and he allowed me to live in his house, and make my mistakes. And he kept telling me too that um, that he felt like that I would be a, a preacher, and and I was like, man, I ain't thinking about preaching. But he was patient with me and and helped me to saw me develop and grow, um, helped me to go back to school where I went um, to business school to learn how to type and and to do the things that I was passionate about. And um, I'm ever grateful to him. And then. Um, Pastor J.D. Williams, who um, was one of my, I was already preaching by the time I met him, um, and he was one of my preaching mentors, and my childhood pastor, um, Dr. Uh, Jones, who allowed me to be me early on in ministry, and I think that that was very important, Um, because when you're young and you say that you have this calling, you will make mistakes, and he protected me at at at, at um, some point where some points where I felt like giving up, he encouraged me not to give up, and and I just um, ever grateful to the, those people, and of course, community who always supported me, my mom, um, who's who's always been there, and my wife, who I met when I was seventeen, so she saw every part of my transition, <laughs> and we're still together now, and married you anyway. But. Yes, marry me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and some days I think she might regret it. But she's still, she's still by our side. Uh, yes. uh, uh, now, Ron, if we can call you that, um, is yes. St. Philip's uh, a denominational church of some sort? Or? It is. Um, St. Philip's is a Disciples of Christ church, which is which is funny. Um, I grew up um, Pentecostal Church of God in Christ. Um, I'm ordained Baptist, and I. Um, pastor of uh, Disciples of Christ Church. So I kind of cover all of the Christendom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not Catholic. Uh, yeah, yeah, not Catholic. <laughs> Although the church is Catholic, which is universal. So Okay, uh, good. Uh, and I run a yoga program, which is yes. another. Yeah. We wanted to talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, Reverend, uh, when you uh, preach every week, uh, where do you get your inspiration from and how do you put together a uh, a, a sermon, and, and what's some of the like subject matter you really feel passionate about? Um, so I usually deal in series. Like right now, um, we're dealing in Re- the Book of Revelation, mm-hmm. and we're kind of demystifying Revelation and, and opening up person's eyes to what the, the the word of the text truly is saying, as opposed to what we might have been taught in our upbringing and our childhood or just um, um, the cooler talk. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, 
I'm, so I'm dealing with that, and I'll be dealing in that for for a long time. And then we have two services. We have an 8:30 service and a, an 11 o'clock service. And then um, the 11 o'clock service, I'm the 8 o'clock service. I'm dealing in communion and what the essence of communion really means. And again, trying to demystify some of those things um, because I my inspiration in teaching comes from the fact that a lot of what I see or, or what I've experienced in church is really based on emotion and not intellect. Mm-hmm. And I believe that if God is a God of design and, and one who is intellectual, that we should dig a little deeper and get to know him in more of an intimate way and not just emotionalize. Mm-hmm. I believe this just because I believe, but really like sit down and, 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 and fill our minds up with, with, with questions because there may be some things that we really don't believe, but then let's dive into the to the book and see what it says, and, mm-hmm. and and wrestle with that. And I believe that that's that's the thing that motivates me. And at the risk yeah. of getting overly theological, I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm always intrigued when I speak to uh, people in the clergy how their interpretation of things or their approach to ministry is different from, you know, the, the church down the block or, you know, mm-hmm. with other, other uh, um, interpretations. Um, you, you raised the, question, the issue of a book of Revelations, which, uh, my goodness, if anything begs for different interpretations, it's that. <laughs> and, and I know, you know, you hear a lot uh, in certain circles about its, you know, being this book of prophecy and prediction, and it's often you know, really dramatic stuff, and um, and I know there's many different interpretations. How, if you could, you know, briefly say how, how your approach is different, or maybe give us an example? Well, w- one of the, the things that I do is that I do not, although I have my own presupposition, I try to present information as opposed to present my personal presupposition. Mm. So, in case in point, the book of Revelation, there's two um, juxtaposing thoughts concerning this, the date of, that it was written. Some say that it was written in 8069. Some say that it was written in 8090. And depending on which side of the fence you stand on, um, your interpretation of the rest of the book is going to go with whatever thought process that you really? believe it was written. Yes. Wow. So if you believe that it was written in 80. Uh, 90, you believe that the fall, the Babylon, fall of Babylon indicates Rome. If you believe that it was written in AD 69, you believe that the fall of Babylon indicates um, Old Testament Israel uh-huh. and uh, entering into a new covenant with the church. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I teach you both principles and not try to force my own personal view because I wasn't around in AD 90, <laughs> nor 90. As far as you know. Yeah. Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I, I can only present information and not necessarily present, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, push my stance or push my person. And I believe that um, if we did that as as a people, not just Christian, or, or we would we would kind of be better off. It wouldn't be so mean spirited if a person doesn't believe it. What I believe in. So when right. when I have somebody in my class who say, "Well, I don't believe in that," I'm like, "Okay, let's argue argue your point. It does, there's mm-hmm. room for you not to believe what I say, but tell me why you don't believe it. Right. Just don't not believe in it because you mm-hmm. just don't want to believe." Right. 
It, it's like, and, Rev- and, and if that's the case, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. R- Reverend, uh, I mentioned uh, in the introduction that uh, I watched a little clip of your service, and it was a, a significant amount of music in it, and I was very moved by that. How, how important is music to uh, enlivening spirituality and faith in people, and how do you use it in your ministry? Oh, well, music to me is 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 the um mm-hmm. appetizer <laughs> and a portion of the main meal <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> or the dessert, dessert uh, music yeah. is very important it's it's very crucial because the average church the the average um, parishioner um when they when they walk into the church before they're introduced to the pastor before they hear a message before they hear any of the content that I have to to give out the first thing that they're introduced to is our band and the first thing they're introduced to is our singers and our ushers and, and the spirit of the church and and what does that feel like for them so if a person is um is is having a bad day we are we all know what music does and me I, I've been in music since I was 16 mm. um um, putting together harmonizations and what harmony does for the brain. So if you if you harmonize um, vocally and 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 synchronize it properly with the instrumentation, you can um, open up the brain in a way that is mm-hmm. ready to receive whatever it is that that you're going to present. And I've also seen I've seen I've seen it done well, and I've seen at times even in our service uh, when it's been done. In, a, in not such a great way, and you have to kind of get up and try to fix it. So um, it, it is very, music is very instrumental in, in, into the um, softening of the brain or the opening up of the brain, um, certain sounds that helps, and, and verbiage and, uh, and the Christian music. Mm-hmm. The lyric is more important um, than than the actual um, instrumentation. Mm-hmm. So Picking the right songs that is going to reflect the message that you're about to bring uh, is very, very crucial to our services on a weekend, a week out basis. And and it's the only, and I and I say this to my my musical staff all the time. We have to be on point every week because mm-hmm. we only do this one time a, a week mm. right. for two hours. Yeah, I wanted to yeah, Reverend. If I could, I wanted to mention that uh, my wife and I attended the. Uh, uh, Chicago, the annual Chicago Gospel Festival uh, this past uh, summer, uh, and, and we were there for one night, and uh, it was a number of uh, preachers uh, u- using music, and I, 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 it was a very powerful experience. It was outside, there were 20,000 people, and I thought to myself, if church was like this, I would have never <laughs> stopped going. I mean, it really, I felt, I felt reverberations from that, and I felt something stirred deep in me. For de- days afterwards, and uh, yeah, it, it's very powerful stuff. The music. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, um, mm. you said you know the lyrics are very important. You know the message of of the hymn, but we all know that you could take the same hymn and um, go to some church somewhere and fall asleep, and yes. you could take the other uh, hymn. And you know Aretha Franklin is singing it instead, and you know. <laughs> uh-huh. so so the 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 talent pool that you have and the instrumentation and the you know rhythmic structure and everything uh, makes a big difference, I'm sure. Uh, which brings me to um, 
your background growing up in the Pentecostal uh, church, yes, yes, which yes. which is known for sort of inducing uh, spiritual experience and emphasizing that. So how does that all fit together for you? Um, it's, it's funny. <laughs> when I didn't know certain songs that we sang in, in our church growing up. We called spirituals. I didn't know that they were hymns until I went to the Baptist church. Because uh, <laughs> we took the song and we just did what we felt needed to be done in them to in, in, mm-hmm. in, in invite a certain um, <laughs> type of feel. And, and what got lost, um, that I, and I started directing the choir in that atmosphere. So I was a choir director when I was 16, 14, between 14, 15, and 16 years old. I started um, directing choirs. And um, I grew up around that. One of my musical mentors, Arne Lomax, um, was very big on on, on harmonizations and and in, what we call it in, inviting the spirit in through lyrics and songs. So he made us very um, aware of the content of the message, but then also the style that we bring when we mm-hmm. um, when we bring it. Um, and then staying, and, and I know this, my colleagues are going to really um, get upset when I say this, staying professional with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, we can't become overwhelmed because we're ministering. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and if you're ministering at that point, then you have to um, stay cognizant of your audience. Um, and when I went to the Baptist church, um, Pastor Williams said, listen, I want you to bring that style with you, but I want to add depth to it. And and it was in learning the hymns. And my wife grew up um, Catholic, so uh, I guess I have a little Catholic in the house. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, from Trinidad, and she grew up um, in a traditional Baptist church also. So her love and passion for the hymns, um, she would always challenge me to learn hymns and, and to learn sacred um, songs of the church. And then as you grow and develop an ear and um, I was hired on another church, um, Bishop Moore, um, Holy Unity Baptist Church in, in Jamaica, Queens. And when I was there, we I was in charge of the music. And I had a horrible habit of of creating my own lyrics. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was out of laziness or <laughs> But um, th- that was the first church I worked at where the, the lyrics were on the screen. And, and my other horrible habit was because of the Pentecostal and he was breaking off the set. So if mm. I felt like the spirit is moving me this way and we practice that, I'm going to go with the way that I feel like the, the spirit is moving. But what happens is that everyone else is kind of lost and then they have to kind of catch up. Mm. And um, he, he pulls me to the side and he says, listen, if you're going to um, become better at what you're going to do, one, you have to, my, my congregation need to see the lyric that is on the screen is the same lyric that you're singing. <laughs> and two, <laughs> whatever you guys are doing in rehearsal, perfect that, because the Holy Spirit is intelligent and is not going to um, make everyone else look bad because you feel that you should be going in another direction. Mm. Um, and that was a hard lesson for me. I was upset with him for a while, but um, it was one that, that kind of helped me along the way where I can be sensitive to the Spirit, but also sensitive to the needs of and, and communicate that to the needs of all of everyone that's around me. Um, mm-hmm. And so what you see now the culmination of the two. And now I, my, my musical staff fired me, so they don't even love me. <laughs> 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 I 
I'm like the uh, man. I'm I'm Phil Jackson. They got me on the sideline, <laughs> 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 wanting to wanting to call a triangle, and they want to move the pace along. Right, so right, right. <laughs> eventually, you just gotta <laughs> sit down and yeah. take your ball home. You know, right. all right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Re- Reverend, I wanted to switch gears here and ask you about your uh, work with uh, something called Urban Yogis. Yes. Tell us about what um, that is and how you got involved. Well, um, I got involved with Urban Yogis from meeting a, a good friend and mentor of mine, uh, Eddie Stern. Uh, By the I, way, we've had I him on our doing... show, yes. Yeah. Yes, we should refer our, our listeners to our interview with Eddie. Yes, Eddie's a, a, a really great guy. And his his um, studio is not too far from mine in Brooklyn mm. now. And um, I met him during Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I, I got introduced to yoga through a local gym when I was working in Manhattan. I went to the gym and I saw people stretching. I'm like, I think I need to stretch. And that was my introduction <laughs> to yoga through like a Lane Bryant or something. And, and then I, I, I would do uh, five-mile runs and, and I, I hurt my back. And I remember riding by a, another yoga studio in Long Island. And, and I said, I, I walked in and I'm like, my back is hurting. I need to to fix my back and I know stretching because I don't stretch properly is going to help it out so that was my introduction to yoga just trying to stretch and mm-hmm. not understand what the yoke of yoga um, could do in terms of flexibility not just for the body but for also for the mind mm-hmm. and, um, and just like I said with the music um, softening the mind to be open to receive that which um, God for me this is my interpretation which God has is, is saying to me. <clears throat> so when I met Eddie, he um, introduced me to come down to Southeast Jamaica, Queens. So I'm working with some young people. Um, come and come with me. And I was like, okay. And I started practicing yoga with them in the park um, mm. in South Jamaica, Queens. And I was mesmerized. Um, the, the program had just really began to start. And I was mesmerized at the fact that, um, one, <laughs> that Eddie, who's a Caucasian, <laughs> was in the middle of a park in the project <laughs> doing yoga with a <laughs> with a bunch of African American males, and that's something that could could have been document <laughs> documented and, and should have been captured. Um, and the gravity of that, the gravity of that was was so heavy for me. And and two, there was no judgment out, out there. Like mm-hmm. people were on the outskirts. Um, they were smoking. You can smell weed in the air and 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 stuff. And even though I grew up in that environment, I was, there was times where I probably was like, "Oh man, I wouldn't be out here." But he was there, and I'm like, "If he's there, I can be." There. <laughs> you know? right. um, so we began to work with um, the young young men and and ladies, and and I watched how their lives changed. So I started on the outskirts. And I watched how their lives were being transformed and how he was able to help influence them in, in such a positive way. And a part of me became, and uh, I hate to use the word envious, but I became curious as to why the, the, it wasn't just the practice, because urban yoga is not just the practice of yoga. It's wellness is best wellness practices. Um, how to make better decisions, how to make better food choices, how to make better beverage choices, choices, how to um, become flexible, how to articulate. So we one of the um, greatest portions of our program is the group readings. 
So we would have, um, we would take young men and women out of their community, and we would first we would do the summer. We started just doing the summer. I became involved more as a teacher, and we would do summer um, courses where we had them for three, six to three, three weeks or six weeks, depending on who would come. And most of those young people. Um, although some graduated college, some were on their way to college, some didn't go to college. So you had an, uh, an eclectic group of people in the room, but some of them never read out loud. Some of them never completed a full book. Some of them didn't, had, had emotions that was bottled up in them, mm-hmm. and they didn't feel like they can talk about it. And what the Urban Yogi program did for them was it allowed them to be free and expressing themselves. We had young men and women who aged out of homeless shelters that um, had identity crisis, young men and women who were um, uh, who had HIV AIDS and felt like they, there was nothing to live for anymore. So we've met so many groups of persons that we were able to help with the program and then to become um, their, their guiders and, and mentors and, and just to give them a, a space, whether it's for two hours out of, uh, uh, out of the week, and space and time to grow, develop, and become um, the the better them to find themselves in them and not just to see their problems. That's great. So that, that's what we've been doing. Well, yeah. I'm Sorry curious um, how your uh, <laughs> how your uh, uh, dive into yoga and that tradition has affected uh, your own spiritual life and your your ministry. Because I, you know, I know Eddie well enough to know he does not treat yoga as just stretching. So, um, yeah, yeah. how has how has it affected your ministry? Um, well, I've learned I've learned a lot about my my, my body and what I felt was li- limitations. That the, the the limitations was really in my mind. Sometimes, like when you try to bend down and touch your toes, you're like, "Oh my God, I can't do it." <laughs> and it's not that you can't do it; you probably just can't do it today. <laughs> mm. um, and just, just listening to your body. But the, ultimately, how yoga has helped me become a better preacher is because I learned how to meditate. And I know that the M word seems uh, horrible in the Christian setting because <laughs> we just like not to not to our audience. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> no, because part Good of my point. audience is going to be listening too. So. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we get so caught up in the emotion of prayer where we're talking mm. to God, and we don't really know how to quiet our minds. And what what yoga did for me was it taught me how to be still. And you're talking to a guy who grew up in a fast-paced environment, always on the move, even when I was in school. I was always getting in trouble, always on the move. Now, I, I, and people say, pay attention or sit down, and I couldn't pay attention. I didn't know how to pay attention. They're telling me to pay something, and I didn't have the currency to pay it. <laughs> Yoga <laughs> became the currency. I, I finally figured out how to slow my mind down and pay attention. I still have problems with it, but at least I have tools now um, where I can sit down and have a conversation. And um, my mind not be traveling all over the place. The eye goes where the mind goes. <laughs> and do you bring that into into the congregational work? Um, uh, loosely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I think yeah, they, it depends on. Yeah, this idea of the stilling the mind is very profound. That point that you brought out. 
Yes, the eye goes where the mind goes, or vice versa, the mind goes where the eye goes. Um, but, but loosely, I, I do it so I won't seem so new age. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you have, I don't like to break away from tradition. Mm-hmm. I like to um, allow tradition to breathe as, as we um, speak to a, a, um, the, the people who are living in the now who you know everyone wants to break away from tradition they say oh we've just developed this new age and <laughs> it's all connected mm-hmm. together so um i try to find a a balance a healthy balance between the two mm-hmm. Re- reverend i have a final question for you uh and that is uh you know these are crazy times in this country and, and around the world uh what message do you have for young people that are listening in what what message do you have that might give them greater uh hope for for uh a bright future. The, the message that I have is that we're not, um, you're not made of chance, energy, and matter. Um, our, our school systems has done a, a horrible job at, at reducing us to a, a, a bunch of chemicals and combustion. Um, and if we feel like we're come from chance, then we don't, we can't see uh, love in our fellow man. Like, how can you? see love in someone else all you can see is color or all you can see is currency or all you can see is um your, the end of your day uh, I, I feel like um our young people need to understand that they've come from someone who is bigger than us and they and there's the, and we were created by design and if we can understand that we were created by design then all of our racial um this all of this racial tension sexual tension, uh, financial tension, it's put on a back burner because you and I are brothers and sisters at first, before anything else. Before I became Neuron, before I became a pastor, I was a fellow human. And we need to see each other as humans and respect each other's space and respect each other's differences. Like I don't have any problem coming on you all show because I understand that there's a mutual respect and there's a, an understanding, and we just want to get better at every, at our craft and, and at helping people. And I believe that our young people has to see that it's not just about their selfish needs and what it is that they want to obtain today, but there's a greater um, need and necessity for their voice, and their voices need to be heard, not just in the realms of what they do in, in their lifestyle, but in the realms of how they can participate in this thing we call humanity. Very good. Thank you for that. Um, I, I have another question. This may sound more sociological, but it's uh, of interest to me personally. I, I grew up in Brooklyn. Long okay, before, which part? Well, I'll tell you, long before it was fashionable, but my, where I grew up is still not. But I grew up in, in Brownsville and then East New York. Okay. And right, I, I, yeah. I, well, uh, East Flatbush, and I went to high school in East New York, and okay. um, that was, you know, in the fifties and sixties. And in those days, now you, your uh, your church, I think, is in Bedford Stuyvesant. Am I correct? Yes. So yes. when I was growing up, Bed Stuy, as we called it, was a place we were warned not to go to. Yes, do a die Bed Stuy. It was it was dangerous. <laughs> Now there was there was obviously you know and I grew up in a, in in a part of Brooklyn that was very working class and mixed and I always had you know mixed races and mixed ethnic groups in my schools and all that so but there was an element of of of, of racism in the 
image of Bed-Stuy, but it was also a dangerous place. It was considered, you know, don't go there, it's dangerous. Brooklyn has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering about the a congregation and what it's like now and as opposed to what it might have been like 20 years ago and 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 whether your uh, congregation is uh, mixed racially and ethnically and how that all has evolved <laughs> my musical director name is Stephen uh John uh, <laughs> uh he's Caucasian ah. um, uh, he plays a trumpet. Um, my piano player, his name is Stephen, also, and he's um, Caucasian. Um, and he actually grew up in a Catholic background. My bass player, his name is Brian, and he's um, Caucasian. My guitar player is Bria, and she's African American, and and um, and Justin is my drummer. He's African American. And I just thought that it was, I, I say that to say, um, and I have my backup bass player, one of my backup bass, bass players is Chinese. And I just thought that it was important for us yeah. to have an eclectic um, mm-hmm. band. Now, there was some learning curve, and the uh, congregation was a little upset because they couldn't really get the feel of what we were trying to do for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but once they got it, we, we make perfect harmony. Now, they bring... What they what they've learned in life and, and and to have them a part of the staff is welcoming. So when we have uh, we had a, a couple of come in from Poland a few weeks ago, um, and uh, had another young lady come in from Denver, Colorado. She was here on a business trip, and she said, "Is it okay if we come if I come to your church?" And I mm-hmm. think that the problem is a huge problem when. When someone can say, I'm looking at my skin color, and I, let me find out if I'm welcome there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, that's not God. That's, that's, that's stuff that we bring to the table. So mm. we try to quell that and, and not try to make church an African-American experience or a West Indian experience or a Caucasian experience, but just to make it a, an experience with God. So we were, my, I'm attempting, and what we're attempting to do at 765 Lafayette Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. For those of you all who, who all want to um, um, find us, spccbrooklyn.org. Sorry for the shameless plug. No, we'll but have it on our website, to... too. Yeah. <laughs> what we're trying to do is, um, is try to make everyone feel welcome and, and to make it a place where we can um, we can worship God together and bring all of our differences together and to do something great for humanity and and not really worry about um because there's not going to be sectioned off there's no no not going to be any latino section in in heaven and uh <laughs> african american like we're all if we believe in what we say we believe in we're all going to be covered by the same blood um and in basking in the glory of god and oh, the only thing great. that god is going to look at is what what have we done um, here in the, in the time that he's allotted us before we face him in eternity. And that's the message that, that we try to persist. So I, I try to stay t- true to the word of text and not um, talk about social economics. And I know that there's a room for that, and especially in our economy. And I, I try not to talk about presidential election, and I know that there's room for that, but not on the pulpit. In the pulpit, mm-hmm. our in the pulpit moment, um, 
if we just keep it Christ-centered and talk about what God is doing in the world through our hands, then that's a message that resonates to everyone, not just to, to a class of, or a group of people. Well, next time I'm in New York, I'm going to have to come by. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'll be looking yeah. for you, please. Yeah, me, me too. I, I, I'm from, I was born in Jersey City and grew up in that area, so not so far away. And uh, I get back that to New York, New Jersey, and the next time I come, I, I hope uh, I can t- attend service at your your church. If you'll have a sinner, uh, if you, they're allowed in, uh, then, then I'll be happy to come. <laughs> well, the guy who the guy who sits in who be standing behind the pulpit is a sinner too. <laughs> so that we we have we have that in common. <laughs> um, I'll be in San Francisco. I don't know how, how far you guys are from there. I'll be in San Francisco. Oh, Dennis is in Iowa. I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah. If you but my daughter will take it out to San Francisco. Yeah. When will you be there? I'll be in San Francisco on the 24th with um, doing a yoga at one of the Buddhist centers doing a yoga retreat. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> but Dennis, let's not date the show because yeah. people will be listening to this later on. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Yeah. That's um, okay. This is my last thing that I want. Um, we're bringing Urban Yogis to Los Angeles. Oh, wonderful. Yes, we have funded in place, and we're just looking for a place to house it. Um, so I'll be frequenting Los Angeles often. Well, please get in touch with me, and if Eddie's involved, he knows how to get in touch with me. I'd like yes, to he is. help in any way I can. Great, great. Yeah, so we, I, I'm glad that you said Los Angeles, because we, yeah. we will be launching Urban Yogis in Los great. Angeles um, probably early 2017. Very good. Right. Good to hear. Right. Well, th- well thank, you. thank you so much. Thank you so much thank for you. taking the time. Thank you, and if you all ever want to have another conversation, please give me a call. And uh, when I start my podcast, I'll give you a call, and hopefully you guys can come on and I can interview you. It's we'd, a deal. We'd love to come on, and uh, if you need any help setting up a podcast, just let me know. We've learned a bit of doing this. So thanks again, uh, Reverend, and uh, all of your contact information about your church. Uh, and all the your website will be posted on our website. And uh, uh, thank you again. We look forward to talking sometime in the near future. All the best. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of your day.